professionals, we always want to find ways to earn value with our customers, as well as put ourselves in a position to do business with them. One of my colleagues and mentors, and if you're in real estate, if you're a professional real estate agent, one of our um, officers, one of our service provider representatives, uh, has really um, combined her professional expertise to create unique value for customers and has a unique way of building business that's helped her build her successful business. I'm really excited to introduce Tani English, who is the, boy, I always get this wrong, you're the incoming president of the GLAR? Oh, oh, greater uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm, I, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> But okay, yes, well, I've she's involved there. She's involved in women's uh, real estate. She's involved in NER. She's involved in this. She was a CPA at one point. Uh, does a lot of stuff. And I'm really excited to have her. So, Tony, thank you so much. Thank you. And I see Audra is on here. Good old president from ARIA. So I'm looking forward to, I think, your installation coming up, right? Yeah, ours is in April. We just had our BOD meeting today. But there's a lot of other ARIAs celebrating next month too yep yep because i i make my rounds so i i think i'm hitting three of them next month yeah so i'll <laughs> see you there tiny goes to so many yes, formal installation and meetings i'm exhausted just following her on social media but what keeps me going is the opportunity to see her and her mother and when they dress up together they are really <laughs> if you want to see about having fun in social media and real estate you got to check out on lion's uh regroup.com uh and i'm not sure which one's the mother and which one's the daughter but i know one is one and one is the other but they both look awfully happy whenever they're together so there she is that's so sweet thank you thank you bill yeah no yes i do clothes for my mother <laughs> yeah and the clothes i mean really i you know it's funny because I, I i'm a man and my my clothes range from black to black with a white shirt, and uh, you are at the other end of that spectrum. And and more importantly, you pull it off and carry it off with dignity and class. And it looks like a lot of fun with you and your mom. So, but let's talk about okay. let's get serious here because you're you're also as serious as a heart attack. As much fun as you have and as much social time as you spend, let's be honest. This is about real estate and making money, right? Yes, sir. So let's talk a little bit. How did you end up in, or how did you get into? Probate and in your case, probably more focus on trust real estate. How did you get into that into the business? Um, well, I used to run a CPA firm and um, I was a road agent, by the way, which means I was uh, certified by the IRS as a tax specialist. And um, during the time representing you know clients and et cetera, I got into real estate because we used to tell our clients to you know um, use their pension plan to fund real estate for, you know, their businesses to house their businesses. And then we said, tell them to use real estate to, instead of paying um, dorm fees, go and buy real estate for their kids, you know? So that way they actually have appreciable access instead of wasting money on dorms. And so that started my real estate career is when I was, I realized I was leaving, leaving money on the table because I'm telling my clients to go buy real estate, but then, their loan officers or their realtors will call me. And I'm like, well, shoot, I'm pretty much doing their job. So I rolled into real estate and originally as a loan officer. And then when short sales happened, I became the short sale queen. I'm like, oh, I love this. And then how I got into probate and trust, well, I was doing trust administration as a business manager and road agent. So I understood how trust worked. But the probate came about 
when clients start, attorneys start referring those clients to me because it was complex. You know, probate, as you know, is very complex real estate. And then I realized, ooh, I like this. This is fun. Just like I like short sales. So I went and got the professional fiduciary. You know, there's a um, license you get to be a professional fiduciary where you're not just doing being a probate realtor, but you all you're well, it's not even being a probate realtor. It's you are now becoming the either you could be a conservator with that license, or you can do receiverships, or you can be the successor trustee, trustee, or you could be a probate administrator or a representative. So that got me more involved in it also on that side of it. And that's because of my background of being, you know, running a CPA firm, being a business manager and all that stuff. So I got really involved in that side of it too. I just like complex real estate, quite honestly. I love challenges. <laughs> now, when you say complex, there's a difference between complex and complicated. If my definition, complex usually is something that is hard to understand, like trigonometry or, or calculus. Complicated means there's multiple pieces, but like a puzzle, if you figure out the pieces, eventually they fit, doesn't require any special knowledge. So I'm thinking really what you mean is a complicated in that attorneys look for a real estate agent to handle these things because there's a unique set of pieces that have to fit together in a transaction, but it's not really beyond the ability of anybody on this call to learn that process. They just need to take time. Would you agree with that? No, I do agree with that. And right, it is comp it could be complicated if you don't know the probate lingo or the timelines and stuff like that. Only time it could be complex is more of like my background, I'm able to sell anything mm -hmm. in real estate, including businesses. So complex. I've had deals Diving. where I'm not just selling, yeah, that's complex, where I'm selling, cause you know, some realtors don't have the commercial side of things, or they don't know how to sell a business cause you're selling anything that's in that estate. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm able to sell businesses as a business broker, I can sell business interests, trustees, um, so yes, so there's two things, the complex part of it and the complicated part of it. <laughs> One of the things I want people who are on the call, most of your real estate agents and some of your investors to, to hear is not that Tanya's successful because she was a this, this, and that. It's that she was a this, this, or that and used real estate to monetize, whatever it was, and used real estate to monetize those skills into real estate. So if you're a nurse, you can monetize your experience as a nurse with families in real estate in probate by helping families in that situation. If you're in sales, selling senior housing might be another niche. Mine, I had some background working yeah. with attorneys and that was a niche that I pursued. And so I think for too many people, we find one avenue that realtors have to go down. And I don't think that's the case. I think better to find your unique skills. So describe that, Tony, what's it like? You're not the average realtor. I've, I've you know, uh, been in transactions with you. Um, and I would say that, you know, you sell houses like your personality, you're strong, you're ferocious when necessary, you're polite and respectful when necessary, um, and, and are very um, meticulous in the process that you want to follow. That's you as a person. And I believe that's also how you sell real estate. You've been able to find a niche that allows you to express yourself that way. Well, I'm not ferocious. Can be. No, not at oh, all. Oh, come on now. <laughs> no, I just cross you, Tani. I and... like I love I'm not ferocious. I just like numbers. I like negotiating. You mm -hmm. know, that's all. And I like to sell things at the highest best use. 
So mm-hmm. I do, I will say this, the ferociousness, you may say, is more of protecting my clients. Because yeah. I always tell investors on the other, that I, my goal is to sell things as the highest, best use for my clients. I work for the beneficiaries. I don't care on the other side or working for the investors. I like to protect my clients. So I do tend to treat the client's estates as my own in a way. Like, I'm not going to let you cheat my clients. <laughs> So I do tend to do extra work and do extra due diligence. Due diligence. I'm sorry. I have a retainer because I have a temporary tooth. Um, and I do extra due diligence where I do go in and check the zonings and check what's the highest, best use I can sell this property. So I do do, and I like that kind of stuff. You know, I like doing more research. I like telling a story of each property so I can sell it at the most because I'm dealing with beneficiaries that this is their only inheritance. Their parents or what our husband or whatever, our spouse, that's what they left them. And I want to, you know, really honor that legacy by making sure I do the best job possible for that estate. Notice how ferocious she was in answering me. I'll point out for the record, you're the one who brands yourself as lion's estate. Lion with a lion head on it. Uh, and you remind me of the the mama lion. She's like licking the cub, licking the cub, and then some other male lion comes by out of line and roar, and then back to licking the cub. That's kind of how I I see you in your real estate practice as well. That as long as everybody's cool with your customers, you're fine. But if somebody tries to take advantage of you, uh, stay back, move away quickly, and go about your business. So that's mine. So yeah, and, and one of the things uh, we have a question from Christopher is that um, you are a licensed professional fiduciary. So explain how that works with your real estate practice. Do you uh, act as a fiduciary and realtor? Do you act as a fiduciary with other realtors to work with them? Do you, as a realtor, you know, know the role and can make sure the fiduciary does the job? How does being a licensed fiduciary supplement your business? So as a, um, a well, licensed fiduciary, um, it really depends on your focus, right? Because as I said, as a licensed as a licensed fiduciary is able to be a conservative, right? Receivership, they can do um, successor trustee or probate. So when I am, it depends because you can have a conflict of interest too, or you can have it where the conflict of interest where you, if you're the fiduciary and you're the realtor, because okay, let me back up. A professional fiduciary is able, especially on the probate side, is able to charge the same amount as an attorney, a probate attorney. Okay. And and reason why they would do it, because in a way, a professional fiduciary could pretty much do the whole, whole probate using an attorney. And if you know the numbers of how that works, the first four percent, a hundred hundred thousand, all that stuff, and that could be pretty expensive if you have a professional fiduciary and probate attorney. And in my case, I feel comfortable always working with an um, attorney because I get my referrals from attorneys. And so I don't do the full fiduciary work so far as the courts and all that. So I tend to charge a flat fee. I don't do the mandatory fee in, in exchange of doing the being the listing agent on it. Right. So I only charge, uh, you know, a, a, a flat fee just to take care of opening the bank accounts, you know, getting all the tax returns done, you know, doing the extra work. Because when you are a um, fiduciary, you know, you're the seller. And so, and as a seller, you're the one that have to deal with paying the bills, keeping the utilities on, clearing the house out, donating stuff. There's extra more work than being just a listing agent. Right. When you do the fiduciary, when you are the PR, the personal rep on it, or the probate administrator, or the, tr- the successor trustee, you're the seller. So there's more uh, work involved. 
so I showed everybody on the call that after and and I mean I know Tani, we're colleagues. We've we've she's been on my show before. We've done the interviews. So after one of our previous talks, she really inspired me. And um, in California, you can do I think two at a time. I only do one at a time, where you act as a paid fiduciary. You, you can't do more than two. I I only do one at a time, just just to be safe. But it allowed me to do both one time. It allowed me to cut my fees on the fiduciary role part to offset the real estate side. It allowed me to reduce my fees and then bring another attorney in and they came in and reduced fees as well where the customer combined paid the full amount that's allowed by the statute, but they it was split between mm -hmm. us. So the customer didn't pay double. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. It is more work. It is more responsibility if you're getting paid. But I will say that she taught me this, and I'm sharing this with all of you. I don't know how it is in other states, but certainly California, these are additional skills you can develop and work on and then bring that value to customer and as a result, get paid. And that's that's what we're here to do. Have you ever thought about focusing? And also, Bill, and Bill, just and just to add, just add to that, Bill, also that you get more referrals from an attorney because usually the probate, you know, person is a family member, right? And if there's issue with the families not trusting each other and all that, you being the independent third party, it makes the attorney's jobs easier, especially if you know your stuff. If you think about it, being a, if you add on the, the professional fiduciary side of things, right, you, it's almost like being an REO agent, you know, a foreclosure agent, because mm -hmm. as a foreclosure agent, you're pretty much doing the same thing. You're responsible for paying the bills, locking the house up, clearing it out and all mm -hmm. that. So it's almost similar if you don't do the full fiduciary stuff and leave it to the attorney, then you are acting more like an REO agent. It's the best right. way to describe it. Right. Right. That makes sense. Let me just do some housekeeping real quick to get everybody here. Our guest today is Tiny English, uh, lionsregroup.com. And there's a picture. And again, if you want to scroll down, you'll see pictures of her and her mom. And then you need to guess which one's the mom and which one's her uh, <laughs> in the matching outfits. <laughs> but she's a real estate agent as well as a fiduciary uh, uh, professional fiduciary licensed here in California. Um, and then this is Probate Weekly. We get together every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time. You can register there. We can continue the conversation at our Facebook group, probateweekly.com. We have 3,500 members. This is fantastic. We started about three months ago. And people come in here and post referral requests for attorneys, for realtors, and then your probate content. Uh, Courtney is one of our regulars where you can post your content to get more views, more likes, and all that good stuff. He also shared a great piece on some scripts on um, uh, how to, to have conversations with personal presents. This one is really fantastic. So feel free to join. But he's really taking advantage of that more than anybody else. You know, feel free <laughs> to join there. And then if you want to register, come in the Zoom call. If you're watching this on the recording or on YouTube, you can come in live at um, probateweekly.com, register on Eventbrite, and you'll get the Zoom link. We'd love to have you there. And then lastly, if you want more information with me, my link tree, linktr.ee slash Gross has all the different links to the programs that I run, my social media and all that kind of stuff. Love to have you reach out to me when appropriate. So, um, Tani, I think, oh, I lose you there, Tani? Let's see. There no, you. I'm here. I'm sorry, I'm having some video problems. So question we got um, is, do you see an increase or decrease in probate slash trust matters based upon your geography? So I guess in the areas that you work, LA County, as I do primarily, you see an increase, decrease, kind of steady? What do you, how do you see the market? Well, this is what I tell people. Probate and trust are definitely probate. 
well, probate trust, there's is this it's a niche that is not affected by recession. You know, my joke is is that, you know, one of us here alive. Okay. <laughs> so honestly, uh, both industries, probate and trust, uh, people do pass away. Okay. So and especially now with the demographics, you know, the baby boomers, you know, just um they're on their way. So quite honestly, it's just, it's a niche that it's not affected by recession. Quite honestly, it really is. And the point is, it's fact of life. We don't get out here alive. So either you're getting the listings from probate or you're getting a listing from trust. It's a niche that is just recession proof. Yeah, I would agree. The other thing I would add is I think that as the market's gotten more challenging for realtors, more agents are coming into the probate space. And so I think for all of us, we have to up our game uh, those of us who've been in this for a while have a head start, but we need to build on the head start or we get caught from behind napping. And that's why I do these calls. And that's why I mastermind yeah, with professionals like Tony. Um, no, you're great at Yeah, I want to learn new skills. I want to add things to my business. And we're going to talk next week's call. We're going to talk about adding new ways to build business for 2024. So some questions about your business, Tony. Um, if you accept engagement as a professional fiduciary for probate, um, do you engage the council to file the probate or do you do it uh, like a pro per as a fiduciary on behalf of the client? I since most, I get that as a referral from the probate attorney. That's how it normally happens. Right. So no, the, the attorneys are already on and they already know I charge a flat fee and they right. feel they know I'm going to take care of everything. So right. that's how I get most of the business. But <clears throat> when I don't get it that way, um, and usually, you know, if we can trust the family members and I'm just the listing agent and then I would charge an extra fee if I'm doing, I'm just assisting the probate, you know, probate administrator in that. But one thing too, I would like to mention to people regarding what you said about building business with trust and probate is that especially when age buyers to have their, and this is how they can get referrals, possible referrals from attorney is advise your clients right before they right when they're closing escrow and everything to put their properties in the trust and then what i do is i get written in the trust by the way to be the person who sold the property i mean who sells the property if it doesn't matter they don't have to die they could be upsizing downsizing or divorce okay or they die one of the people you know die but i'm written in i call it future accounts receivable that's the accountant to me right and you get yourself written to trust because my spill or my pitch to them is, is that who else knows this property better than I? I was there to help you buy it. I was there for all the inspections. So I am the best person to sell the property. God forbid if something happens to one, you know, either one of you and you need to sell. So that's something too that you can do with your buyers as part of, you know, being a trusted real estate advisor. You want to tell them by probate, my favorite uh, quote for probate, I got, and I got this from a state planning attorney, is probate is like filing a loss, a civil lawsuit against yourself and your heirs. Okay, because with a trust, a trust you can get for fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred bucks or something like that, right? Probate, like for instance, a million dollar, you know, uh, valuation, and basically, and let me help you out. That's based on the gross value of the state, not if you have a five or six hundred thousand dollar mortgage, right? That probate attorney or, or a professional official, whatever, you're paying a minimum of $25,000. Everybody knows your business. Probate can take eight, nine months to a year. I mean, I have one now that I just picked up as a client. She's been in probate for two years. Now I just picked her up as a client. Whereas a trust is private. 
you know, and you could sell like a regular sale. I just had two trust sales done this year and it was quick. It's like a regular sale. Whereas probate is extended out, right. you know? So I, you do want to, and this is a cool thing about it, is that you also ask those buyer's clients, the buyer clients about their parents. You ask them, what's their address? So you can look it up and see if their property's in a trust or not. And then you explain to them how putting in a trust also avoids future family arguments. Because I see, you know, you see this a lot, Bill, the drama that happens with probate, when there's no will, when there's thing going on, the siblings start arguing, all old Jesse comes up and all that. Whereas in the trust, it's laid out, you know, very clear who gets what. There's no guesswork. Whereas in probate, especially when there's no will in place, you have so much drama with the, you know, with the um, siblings and et cetera. So you also use that to educate your clients and you go back and you go and, and Beals loves this. You know, he always encourage us because I'm, you know, he always encourages us to go through your database and make those phone calls. So you can go yeah. through your database and get all your clients and check and see if their title, if it doesn't have a trust on it, make that phone call and educate them on getting a trust and then refer them to three attorneys. Okay. And then have that conversation about being written into the trust at right. that time. And then you ask them about their siblings. You ask them about their um, parents, because most likely their parents may leave here before they do. And if they're located in California, you know, or in a probate state, that's possible business for you. And that's what Bill likes to say in, you know, enlarging your sphere of influence. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did. I've only done this once. It's a great tactic. I don't, I work more through the attorneys. Than I do the sellers. But I got written into a listing where they they had to consider me. Unfortunately, they interviewed me and one other agent, and it was a really it was a high end property at the top of Rancho Park, and I was the second place finisher uh, on the listing. It was unfortunate at the time; it would have been a great listing. But it certainly is a different experience when they call you and say, "Hey, our mom had this trust and has written in here that we should consider you as one of the listing agents." And we'd like to you know, meet with you. It was a pretty easy lead to get in the sense that I talked to them years before and they got written through the trust attorney. They didn't get written in properly because I didn't follow up with the trust attorney. And that was on me. Today, I'm more, more assertive on that when I get the chances to. Um, and for those who are on the call today, look, Ty and I are friends. We could talk forever. We, we have. But I want you to feel free to be part of the conversation. So feel free to, uh, I'm going to go, I'm still going through the chat box and uh, catching those questions first. But if you have a question, raise your hand in the, Zoom call or unmute yourself and jump in family style. Love to. And if you're watching live, on live stream, see we have a bunch of people on YouTube, uh, Facebook as well. If you put your comments live or watching this, I'll catch them and uh, we'll get a chance to converse a little bit via texting, at least that way. And then if you're watching the recording, I'll either answer them afterwards or Tony will as well. So, Tony, one question that we got, you don't need to disclose it, but I'll just ask the question. I'll let you answer it. I know you're strong enough, you're ferocious enough to say no if you need to, is what is. <laughs> That's an interesting word for you. I, I like that word for you. I don't know. I, I, it just fits. Um, what's your flat fee for probate as a professional fiduciary? How much do you charge as a listing agent when you're also the professional fiduciary? Um, if it's just a one single family home, right, and they have some stocks and stuff like that, I charge $5,000 and I charge 6 to 6.5% on the listing side of it. Got it. But if it's and, more complicated with commercial and all that stuff, then that flat fee goes up. Right. And I think typically a, 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 the trust administration fees are usually like 1% of the total assets, but those are oh, on bigger. 
those are bigger trusts, bigger 10, 20, 30 million dollar, you know, 10 million dollar uh, uh, estate, one uh, percent is hundred thousand dollars per year that they charge on those. Those are different uh, cost right. schedules. So are... What you're talking about is disposing the asset quickly upon death. Right. So if it's trust administration, right? Now that, and I get written in as a successor trustee, right? Like I have one client who owns a pawn shop, a couple of pawn shops, four apartment buildings, and she owns two of her grown kids' condos. And unfortunately, she learned that she'd spoiled her kids and they're in their 40s, 30s and 40s. And she figures she's going to, once she pass away, she can't trust them with the money. So when she passes away, then I become the successor trustee. And my job just is to dispose of some of the properties, but not theirs. And I'm to pay them an allowance right. <laughs> until, you know, whatever. So, um, and then that is, it is based on, and so when you are a trust administrator, then in that case, you are getting paid one, two or three or four or 5% of the value of the state, right? But that depends on the size of it. Right. And mostly once they're if a liquid asset, you, t they, you tend to get those type of deals if the liquid assets are under 30, you know, 30 million, anything above that or 20 million, actually, anything above that, that tends to go to the corporate trustees. Right. You know, they tend to do those bigger deals, it's the, you know, more of the corporate, like the banks and stuff like that. Right. But, but there are... is a good need. There is, uh, yeah, firms, but right now for anything that's like 30 million be below, there is a need for more um, licensed professional fiduciaries who have the accounting. They, they do require, you need to have a county or business background though, yeah. because you're doing more of administration, even though you're not the accountant, because you're hiring the accountant, you're hiring the financial advisors, you're working with the stockbrokers, but they need to feel comfortable that you understand how to manage an estate. Right. Oh, very good. What counties do you accept engagements in? Um, well, I've done LA County, Orange County, and Riverside, you know, because I, you know, but what I tend to do is um in those other two counties, I do a co-listing. Like, like I did one with the trust in Big Bear. I co-listed it because I'm a true believer of, you know, if it's an hour and a half without traffic, you know, I'm not gonna say I'm an expert and all that. So I prefer to do a co-listing. With right. someone on that that's local, that's local. So I don't. I'm not one of those. Great, yeah, just me personally, I don't like to do that. So I always like to co-list with somebody because I like doing I'm, the negotiation part of it. <laughs> that I enjoy. <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, I sold I sold houses in Inglewood and Baldwin Park and Whittier, and I have agents to help me with it here locally with the XP. So that's part of the beauty mm -hmm. of being on a big team when we get this done. Uh, Matt Price exactly. uh, shares that he uh, had a judge give him a perfect case to claim to have been fumbled by the attorneys. And so competency is the top thing they're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Competency, I think, is, is yep. an important distinguishing factor. It's hard to prove competency, but if you're able to, you know, to do that, you create a distance between yourself and the competition that I don't think other people can possibly um, keep up with. Um, is there a conflict of interest or anything illegal about being the fiduciary and the listing agent? No, not if you disclose everything. And you have, don't forget, you also have, have when, um, not fiduciary, it's personal representative, for instance. It's two different things with trust and then that. So what happens is, is um, everybody has to sign on board. You know, they get a, you know, every beneficiary has to agree to it, number right. one. You know, and then especially if you're doing what I'm doing, which is a flat fee, there is no conflict. Because I'm saying the attorney's doing this. 
you know, and only thing I'm, I made sure of is now regarding the conflict of interest part of it, it would be more of a conflict of interest if I'm charging to be a fiduciary and the, you know, real estate agent and I'm double dipping right. like that. And I'm not, I'm charged the extra fee for doing the administrative work of the state. But what I do do is um, I try not to represent both sides of the party when I'm the personal administrator. Let's talk for a second. That I don't that's do. a big one. Let's talk about that for just right. a second. Yeah, that's a big one. You and I so share I that most of our colleagues in, in, in most of the companies that coach, that coach probate real estate emphasize the opportunities for double, double uh, ending transactions. I just feel like that's the one thing attorneys hate. That's the one area that has potential conflicts. And yep. if you're if you're building your reputation, that's the one thing to stay away from. Uh, you know, I've done double ending when it's a very small, like a ten thousand dollar lot, and no other agent really wants to represent the buyer, and the buyer calls me directly. Then I'll do it as a service to my seller, not because I'm making extra commission dollars. It's twice as much paperwork. I really don't want to do it, but you have to do what you have to do to help your sellers if it's a big estate with a bunch of properties. So let's talk about that. Why do you not double end? Uh, generally speaking, we all have exceptions, but generally speaking, why do you not double end your probate listings? Okay. I do. We lost you there. Okay. Oh, there you go. One more time. Oh, sorry. sorry, we lost that sentence. Go ahead. Repeat that. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Um, I would, I can, or would, or have double ended when I'm not the probate administrator. If I'm just the listing agent, that's a separate thing. And on time I do it is if they're investors, they have to be sophisticated investors. And what I always do is I tell them to send me and I put it in right. I have them send it to me in writing. You tell me your terms. I tell them, I ask you these questions and I said, you need to email me your terms. So I don't get, and then I do a spreadsheet and all, and I'm telling you like my last few deals, I didn't, my, the, you know, my off, my buyers that I represented didn't have the best offer. Right. Other agents did. Cause right. then I tell them that. And I also let agents know, they always ask me a question. Are you representing any buyers? And I go, yes, I am. Right. So I'm pretty transparent with it. But the way I keep the integrity of the deal is that I tell them no in writing, you know, you need to tell me what your offers are. Because another thing I like to avoid is you get people who, and we all know it as realtors, we see it all the time, when it's like, what do I need to do to make this happen, to get this deal going, right? right. right. And then they purposely was, say, okay, I'm offer a hundred grand more. And then when you're in the deal, that's when they try to negotiate down. So right. I'm a true believer. I believe, I believe you the first time. So if you're going right. to offer, you know, low ball or whatever, then, and I have a thing where I always tell people, I'm on a calendar of top five offers. So I put that in my listings. I'm going to go count the top five offers. So, you know, don't play, <laughs> you know, get your best offer. Because if you don't count, if you're not the first five, I'm not going to count on you. And I even tell that to the investors who want me to um, write their offers up. But I have so it in writing. And I show it too. But what I do is I do show, I do a spreadsheet and I show that to the um, the attorney to let, and let the attorneys know, this is why I chose this buyer over this buyer. So they see I have full accountability, full transparency right. that they know why if it, if my one of my buyers I'm representing wins, it's because of this and that, that they actually have to hire offer. They have the better terms. They would close faster or whatever the case is. That's why they won. But more oftentimes or not, the other agents win. There's a lot to unpack there. So I think one of the things you point out, you know, with modern technology, I remember when the when the. Um... 
CAR came out with the form. They had multiple offers, like on a piece of paper to share a customer. Mm -hmm. Now I just do a Google sheet and share it. But yep. I have all yep. offers, all the terms, all the agents identified. So there's there, and, and I link to the offer documents. So they see everything that I have. And I'm looking at that mm -hmm. myself to keep track of, you know, their offer, their highest and best price, any notes they have on the file. And with technology now, it's so much easier to, to be transparent with those. Um, yep. The other thing, another thing you said, which is, it's a very common practice that investors in particular will tell you whatever you want to hear to get into the deal. And then they'll start negotiating once they're in the deal. And it, it's really hard to flesh that out. I, that's kind of your job as an agent. One of the things I agree with you on, you, you had so much good value there. I'm just trying to repeat some of the things you said to highlight for those on the call that, you know, think I had a case recently where somebody offered 550, we had offers at 600 and higher. And then they then they wanted to redo their offer at 600. I said, no, if you think it's worth 550, you're just getting 600 to get in the escrow. And then you're going to tell me you want a concession of $50,000. That makes mm -hmm. no sense. I'm going to tell my seller that your offer is unreliable for that reason, because you think it's worth 550. There's no comp to change. Yep. The market didn't change. So I do think it's important to try to flesh out people who do that. There is really no solution. I mean, I you know, recently had another case where, you know, despite my best efforts, they came back and asked for like a 5% reduction. It was big. It hurt the buyer, the seller a lot, but we got the deal closed. How do you, now I, I know based on your reputation, I know personally, um, but you know, we have such a big market. Um, how do you avoid getting into transaction with shaky, shady, you know, buyers and buyers agents who are really going to be dishonest and potentially hurt your client? What do you, what are some of the tricks you mentioned the transparency when you multiple offers. What else do you do though to make sure the offer you're getting is actually real and legitimate? Uh, first, I do have a blacklist. So I do track <laughs> um, realtors I know that are full of stuff. So I do have a list, by the I way. I need your list, Tony. I need your list. I have a list of investors who have- Am I know, on your list? Hold it. Am, I, am I on your list? No. Okay. <laughs> But I do have I do have this list. But no, what I do is because of my loan background too. I do when it's when they're looking for financing. I also look at I require what's called DUs, desktop underwriting approvals, because I can read those babies. Because that tells me I don't play that free approval letter stuff. I want to see a desktop underwriting approval because I can read those and tell exactly how strong they are. Yeah. So I do do that as one of my qualifiers. And then um, I've had mm -hmm. it where. You know, you have these so-called investors or, you know, wannabes. I look for those who are trying to do wholesale deals because when they try to play that assignment game, right, and everything, sometimes they turn out to be wholesalers. So I know how to screen those out. Um, I look at their proof of funds and I really look at the proof of funds because you have it where, you know, they have a different corporation, but they're, then what's listed on the um, purchase agreement. I look at, I had people send me CDs as proof of funds and those CDs don't mature until later on, right? I, they sent me, I look at um, when they sent me the proof of funds from stocks and stuff and I know the rules on that. I know the rules on the pension plans, the max they can pull out um, or they send me these little letters from banks that you never heard of or they send me letters from banks, from Citibank and stuff like that. And I go, well, then give me the phone number. Of the give me the phone number because they're like, well, we you know we have so much money and we don't want to you know show me the proof of funds. Give me the phone number of your rep. Let me call and I yeah. could do a search from them to see if that's a true person or not. 
So I, yeah, but it's really the tricky part I've found people have done is they try to change their bank statements, right? Because of technology now, you can play around with PDFs and change your bank statements. Well, what people forget to do is they forget to change the daily balances. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I have caught proof of funds where yes. they change the ending balance, but they forget to yes. do it at the at the bottom down there. <laughs> and, and every time you point out those mistakes to a customer, I never accuse them of possible say, well, I just noticed this and that. They start getting mad at me. I know, I know that they're I caught them, right? Because if you know, if, if I was buying a house and my Wells Fargo statement didn't match up, I'd say, Oh, that's kind of weird. Let me find out what the problem is. I would I'd want to know myself, right? Like, is Wells Fargo cheating me somehow? They're not, the statement doesn't add up. But when a customer starts saying, well, why do you, you know that? Why do you care? I care because I'm looking for people like you who are dishonest and my job is to prevent you. Uh, so it sounds to me like you got up pretty early in the morning to beat Tony English with some fake bank statement, I would think, huh? And I think these are things that for those agents on the call, that are newer and that are more focused on buyers. This is what listing agents do. These are the skills and these are the things that the attorneys don't know how to articulate, but expect us to be able to do. And that's why right. I recommend the first couple, you should work with somebody who's experienced so that you don't get taken advantage of and work so hard to get an attorney to refer you a probate and then watch it fall apart because some buyer's agent, they're, they're going to sell your soul to the devil for 10 bucks. That's what I've learned in this business. You can't really trust hardly anybody. And if you find people you can trust, stick to them really hard. So and knock on wood, I rarely, I'm usually going escrow with the buyer that the first, you know, the buyer, I fully screen. I rarely get, you know, my deals, you know, um, you know, uh, escrow counseling because I really screen those buyers. And I do let the buyers know that I have other offers. So if you want to play games with me, right. And I keep the inspection periods, everything really short and tight. And I, when I do a counter offer, my counter offer is like being a lawyer. I don't play, right? So I let them know that, hey, if you, you know, if you want to play games, I'm good. I'll go with the next buyer. Can I just say for me on the call today, especially having been a buyer's agent? Especially when it's, I'm sorry. And especially because it's probate, what they understand is that the seller, there's no, there's no rush for the sellers because they don't see the money for another six months or what have you. So right. I tell them that too. It's like, you have no problem canceling escrow and opening up a new escrow because it's no rush from the seller side of it. So there's no sense of urgency. So you can't, it's not working like a regular seller where there's a sense of urgency. Probate, they're not gonna see the money for a while anyway. So please, if you want to now try to go for a reduction, I would just go to my next buyer. So Can I always I tell them that too. <laughs> as a previous buyer's agent on Tiny's listings, She's not exaggerating. Just, <laughs> she didn't play. She does not play. She's nice. You know, she's professional, friendly. You go to the open house. Everything's cool. As long as your offer goes through, she's great. I'm just saying for the record, she doesn't play. I don't play either. I mean, just for the record, there are real estate agents who hate me because I, I don't back off because that's why my customers pay me. I feel like you're paying me to, you know, it's no different than if somebody broke in the house, my job is to protect my, my wife and daughter and grandkids. If you broke mm -hmm. into my escrow, my job is to protect the customer. And so I can be nice to a point, but when you start affecting my customer, that's when, that's what I'm paid for. I think sometimes I show my teeth there. Um, okay, so another question we got was, does L County limit real estate commissions to 5% of probate? The answer is no, 
only on court confirmed cases. And by the way, you can negotiate for more if you show right. extra work, extra expenses, extra services provided. And the judge may, and I've had it happen for me uh, on yeah. occasion, had judges uh, um, agree with that, correct? Yep. They said, if you're doing more concierge stuff where you're the one that have to empty the house out, like I said, more of the REO agent stuff where you're the one that has to clear the house up, do estate sales, garage sales, take, you know, donations, stuff like that, then yeah, that's an extra fee. Right. And that's, you don't have to be a professional fiduciary with that. You negotiate that in your, with the client, you put that in your listing agreement that for the concierge services of doing this and this and that, I'm charging a thousand, fifteen hundred or whatever the case is. And then you present that to the court and uh, on a court confirmation in your, in your petition, the court can approve that or not. But I think the place to do it is in the petition and the probate attorney will review it and yeah. recommend one way or the other and that the sale yeah. the judge will approve it or not. What you don't right. want to do is show up the day of the court and say, oh, by the way, it's 6%, but I'm so good. Well, yeah. I worked hard for the client. We did 10 open houses. Mm -hmm. It's probably too late that this, the, 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 the votary left the right. harbor there. Um, okay, yeah, here's yeah, one. Yeah, we, we do it with the petition. Here's one, a question from one of our favorites, Audra Lorenzo. Uh, what is she, the president of? Uh, uh, North LA Aria. North LA Aria. Okay, there you go. Uh -huh. So she asks, this is, a, this is like a classic probate question. What if grandparents passed away and they have 10 kids? No will, aka intestate. Mm -hmm. Only four of the kids are still alive. Uh, all agree to sell. Six because of the past, their kids now become heirs, correct? So just, mm -hmm. to, just to protect Tawny and me, we're not attorneys, we're not giving legal advice. We can describe our professional business experience in this topic. This is a pretty basic case, right? So mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. I think the, the answer there is, each of the children or the 10 children have an estate. The children who passed, their estate is um, uh, inherited by their children. So you, in this right. case, you would have to really do uh, a probate, and then you'd probably have to do for the six deceased children, six probates, one for each of those children. Uh, and then the the uh, grandchildren would inherit from their parents' uh, probate as well. I literally have a case like this where we filed the probate, found that one of the three kids passed. Actually, they passed during the uh, probate process. And we'd hire, open a separate probate for that one heirs portion, and those two kids get it. Tani, how would you add to that? Um, well, when that, because I had that happen with another one too, and it's just that um, when they do the petition, with it, when the probate attorney does a petition, they you know do the family tree and figure everything out. It's just still one probate that's done. It's just that you know, like the, the say six kids are alive, the other six, uh, the the other six you know, um, that passed away, their kids get one-tenth, like you're saying 10 kids, right? right? right. They're, they're getting one-tenth and that's going to body to those beneficiaries. So I didn't, it wasn't separate in that particular case. It wouldn't, it wasn't a separate multiple probates. It was, mm -hmm. you know, the probate state of the, of the mother, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the mother, and it just got split up by the beneficiaries. It was just, but one, just one probate though. It wasn't multiple probates. Interesting. So you have, and it probably has to do with when they are deceased in relation to the grandparents. If they right. are already deceased, then they're just going to get their share of their parents. 
got it, but they right. deceased afterwards, then it becomes the estate got it. But then you gotta determine right. they got the, the parent pre there, I mean the they predeceased their grandparent. I mean their their parent predeceased the grandparent is what happened. So that's why they're able to inherit and in this is like you know, in this case one tenth, you know, ten kids, one tenth of their because their their parent predeceased the grandmother. Got it. So yeah, so that's the key there. If they if the grandparents passed and then later the kids passed, then you have to do a probate. If the parents yeah. uh yes. I'm sorry, if the if the um other way around. If the children pass before the parents, you have to do a probate. If the grandparents pass first, then the grandkids inherit based on their parents' portion. Got it. Okay. Uh, William Elkins asked, one of our program regulars, hey, William, what's going on? What's the requirement to become a licensed fiduciary? Um, You have to, um, I would say the one of the great ways to do it is uh, take a course, online course at UC Riverside. They have what's called fiduciary management certificate, right? It takes you like six months to do, and then you take that course, and then you sit for the license. But the course is pretty good. It is at UC Riverside, totally online. It's pretty good. Most of the people that does it really are social workers and financial advisors. You'll find that out because most of the course is based on being a conservator. So you're learning more about because that license is more for conservatorship. The, it's only a small part <laughs> that's about probate and trust administration. It's mostly conservatorship, just letting you know. So that's what that license is about is you're being a conservator of a you know a person who no longer can take care of their financial needs or are mental, you know, have mental issues and stuff. So it's a lot about conservatorship. <laughs> There's incredible need for fiduciaries, growing need. And I find all fiduciaries I talk to are pretty busy. <laughs> I've interviewed a couple on this channel before. And conservatorships, more and more yep. people are, yep. are living longer didn't plan ahead properly, have assets, have houses, and um, uh, need somebody to handle that. So um, uh, so the course is called, I'm sorry, I see Joyce. So it's UC Riverside, and it's called Fiduciary Management Cert Certification. <laughs> Audra asks uh, if we can share your blacklist. No, no, I'm getting, I'm getting <laughs> Tiny's blacklist. Nobody else gets that. First, I want to make sure I'm I'm not on it. If I am, I'm going to take myself off of it. And second, because uh, we're colleagues, so you, you can't be sharing blacklists with other oh. agents. That's that's definitely a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what if I was on the kids? I mean, what state you're in? And of course, yeah, Matt points out all that depends on what state you're in. Very different in different states. Um, right. So each state has their own laws, and so we're talking about the principles in general. Uh, and Joyce, I think we answered that UC Riverside uh, as the class. Actually, if you find the link, post it in the chat. I'm going to look for myself and post it in the notes if I can find it. Um, is the website I, good? I uh -huh. assume you have to take a test after the, yeah. the course. Yeah. Certification. Oh, so, right. So each course is kind of cool. So you do quizzes after each course. You do quizzes. They have you set up on. You do how it works is. Oh. I'm hearing noise. How it works is it's online, but you are with the professor for each of the courses, right? So you meet online and you with your group of you know um, students that's online with you. So you do do homework, but you every week you're meeting online like a real life class. And they do do you know they put you in team. You do some teamwork. See, I was known. I got I ended up getting the reputation of Tony only one work with dead people. <laughs> that was the <laughs> reputation. It's <laughs> like no. I don't want to work with them alive, so I do not want to do conservatorship. 
So I, they count on me to do the numbers because you also have to do as a conservator, you have to manage the estate or as a trust administrator too, you have to manage the estate. And you also have to have some actual you know, numbers so far as how long would their assets last so they can stay in their house or when is the time where you have to move them into a full, you know, a, assisted a, a facility and things like that. So I was the one who did all the numbers part of it, right? And, and then there's two types of conservatorship, right? And they already knew that one conservator, which is more your social worker types, they will work with dealing with taking care of the person's health, you know, physical, making sure they are right, you know, and, you know, making sure they're taken care of. Another type of conservator, which would be more like me, we're just dealing with the money and the finances, you know, and sometimes you have conservators that does both or some that does twice too, because some people can trust someone to take care of the person's individual body, et cetera, and they paint it, but they don't have the trustworthiness to take care of the finances. So you learn that in the in in that course, but it is mostly I would say seventy five percent of it is all about conservatorship. So you um, gotta get through that part if you want that. But that is that is extra in, income there because you can do it for like I'm a veteran. So to me, later on, if I get want to do that, I would do it with special you know dealing with vets and special needs, and I had an autism business too. So me later on, I'm may get into the conservatorship type of business dealing with autistic kid, um, autistic adults and all that good stuff, but not now. <laughs> she had an autism business where she serviced autistic uh, um, mm -hmm. um, patients or uh, uh, people who had autism or their families, special needs. She didn't create autism <laughs> or sell autism. <laughs> she serviced people who had autism and their families. Uh, and then a question about the list of states. Uh, I do know for a fact that California is the only state that has currently a license or a requirement for license for professional fiduciaries. That doesn't mean other states, they don't look for classes, education, certifications, or maybe being an accountant or being an attorney as an advantage. But um, there is a, a PFAC, Professional Fiduciary Association Council, pfac.org, right. is a great resource. In Southern California, they have meetings in Long Beach, I know. I used to go to yep. those regularly when I office down there. Great material, great information. So again, this is an area that I don't think it's one of those things we kind of do halfway. I think if you go at it full time, I know there are people who spend a lot of time marketing at those organizations, but they don't really necessarily participate as fiduciaries. They just are lenders oh. or real estate brokers and they market, they sponsor at those events. Again, that's another way to, to build your business as well. Right. To get leads. Yep. Yeah, you meet people and of course, you know, like every business is a certain amount of personality involved in it. And, you know, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so if you're there and have a drink with them or whatever, in a conference, sit with them, learn with them and, and actually learn the material. I, I don't think it's, you want to look like you're learning the material with them. I think you want to learn the material so you can speak their language and be effective and help them yes. uh, do their jobs and such. And also too, you know, and most, and majority of professional fiduciaries, they're not realtors. They don't want to do it, you know? And so because they feel it's conflict of interest and everything. So it is true, like what, you know, Bill's saying to, you know, get in, you can join PFAC as affiliate, you know, as a realtor and yes, show up, you know, to those events. Joyce has a question. I think so she answered it, which is when you become certified as a fiduciary, how do you obtain business? And the answer is in her case, she was marketing to realtor, I mean, to attorneys. <clears throat> Oftentimes, so you have to think about the attorney in probate. If you've done any probate, 
cases at all. The holdup is always the customer because they imagine right. everybody's going to do everything for them. And that's not really the case. The attorneys do the attorney stuff. The realtors typically do the attorney stuff. And there's certain things that you really can't do for the customer. You can't fill out the, the probate forms. That's legal work we're really not allowed to do, for example, to do it for them. Um, as well as um, they're responsible for things. They can delegate responsibility, but they're ultimately responsible. And so um, I find that attorneys are often frustrated that customers don't return paperwork, don't understand what to do. As a realtor, I have the same challenge that they don't really understand the disclosures and the things they need to do to get a house yep. sold. Many times the, the heir never owned a house. Not only have they not bought right. one, they didn't even begin to buy one. They didn't even shop to buy a house. They know nothing about buying a house. And now they're selling a house for the first time with all the paperwork. So as a professional fiduciary, you step into their shoes and do that for them. You're saving them a lot of heartache, time, right. trouble, effort, and energy. Um, and that's the idea behind this. So again, it's not, you're, you're marking the tree to say, rather than you do this work or you suffer with a customer who can't do the work you need done, I'll be a fiduciary. And there are plenty of attorneys who appreciate that because they, they want to do the legal work. Yes. They don't want to do the fiduciary work. And they don't want to deal with the, because don't forget, you're also dealing with people who just lost a loved one. So there's a lot of transference of, you know, emotions and stuff like that. And attorneys right. don't have the time to want to handhold them or baby them and all that, especially right. when you have inter-fighting with the relative. So as a third party, you know, you, you know, you're a third party, you're not affected by old jealousies and stuff like that. So right. you're able to say, you know, to tell the attorney when they see that they have you know, all this, you know, inter, you know, all this bickering and stuff. They're like, well, I have a perfect solution. Let's hire this person I know who's a third party. So you guys don't have to worry about trusting each other. This person take over everything. They make sure everything's done fairly. They keep everybody in the loop. So you don't have to worry about this sibling stealing from this sibling and all that good stuff. So they also like that too. Um, or especially if they're out of, out of area too. So I had it where you know, they're living in a different state. So that also helps to become the um, the PR, the probate rep um, representative. Uh, William, to your question, what are some fiduciary organizations? The only one that I know of is in PFAC. California, pfac-pro.org. I put that in the chat. Mm -hmm. uh, pfac-pro.org. Um, hopefully that right. helps you out. Okay, well, look, time. We're coming up on the hour here. Is there anything else that you do want to share? And then I guess the last question, if not, I would ask you, what do you see happening in 2024 in real estate? How do you think you'll be different than 2023? Well, the answer I always hear is we don't have a um, a, a ball a, a ball that can predict things. I you hope you right there. There's a crystal ball right there. If you see, I, I yeah, there you ball. go. <laughs> it doesn't work. But. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I just say this is a good time to really reach out to your clients and really just start educating them on the value of trust, yeah. you know, and then, then points and if they don't get trust done, these should be top of mind when, you know, when probate has to happen, because then they can refer you to their friends, clients and all that, but really start become more, if you're not doing it now, start educating your clients, start going in there more as a trusted real estate advisor versus just transactional, really start becoming that advisor for them. So providing them as much education as possible so they can protect protect their family's legacy and I have it wasted and you know paying unnecessary probate costs well you walk that walk you know I think I met you because originally you were hosting a series of webinars with I think it was an attorney was one maybe an accountant with another one 
And I learned about trust from you and kind of saw you. I said, oh, I'd like to work with her. I'm not sure what we can do together. But uh, I, 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 you really got my attention. He recruited and, me. He recruited me to EXP. Well, he, I, have a, yeah, I don't know what I'm recruited you to. Is I just wanted to work with you. And I just felt like I could add value to your business. And I thought you could add value to mine. I think you, you really yeah. have to me personally. So fantastic. No, I love well, Bill. Bill's good. He's so, and Bill, you're really passionate about this, by the way. This man is, he really does earn the right of being the LA probate expert. He's so passionate about probate. And what I admire him, which I don't have the personality for, is that I don't think, I don't know if he's still doing that after during COVID, but he goes to courthouses and yeah. talk and go up to attorneys and talk to them to yeah. get the leads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was more productive during, before COVID. Um, now that there's not right. as many people there, that's why I've done more online. But yeah, I, I felt like, and I met attorneys there and as a result, you know, um, proved that I was serious and I knew things. And you also, when you're there, you I encourage every agent who's interested in probate, whatever county you're in, uh, you know, our county happens to have nine courthouses five days a week. In some counties, you only have one courtroom. It's only one day a week, but I would be there every day of the week. I mean, I'd be there every, if it was one day a week, I'd be there that every one day, every week to learn because at some point you become the expert. If you're there and nobody else is, then you know what's going on. You know the judge, what he'll accept, what he won't accept, or she won't accept that you can kind of learn the edges of what get, get things through and that, that makes you valuable. So I would encourage you to do that. So thanks for reminding me of that, Tony. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your service to our realtor community. Thank you so much for your service to our business community here in Los Angeles. Uh, thank you for being you. Uh, shout out to your mom. Uh, love your guys' Facebook <laughs> fashion show. Keeps me, keeps me. And then you also were holding, who was your holding a Facebook? Was that a nephew or was that uh, who was that? Your, yeah, your that's my yeah, that's my little that's my little um, nephew. I call him my grandbaby because I raised his mother, so it's kind of mm. like grandbaby nat nephew. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I only have a social life. I live my social life through uh, Tony's Facebook posts, and I have a pretty active social life. So, if I ever if I was a woman, that's how I'd want to dress. I think sparkly and with a lot of color. I just think you and your mom really pull it off. Anyhow, for those of you uh, on my uh, you know, on behalf of the whole phone call here and for our community, thank you for everything you do. Thanks for being on the call today and sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, because I mean, I'm serious. I'm getting more in confident in being a public speaker because of Bill. <laughs> I usually well, have to be scripted and all that. Bill, you make yeah. it easy. I really just appreciate you. <laughs> you are just amazing. I remember so the thank first. You for being you. <laughs> I remember the first time that we I did an interview and you were like demanding a, a script. I said, no, no, I, I just wanted to talk. Because the truth is, you and I could talk, and, and I always enjoy our conversations just when we call about a problem, work something out. And I think other people like to listen in and see that. So there's no reason to script it. So, uh, And I want to get in the way of the, the love fest between you and Audra uh, as well, uh, fellow uh, EXP, but another, another powerful woman, uh, maybe not quite as ferocious as you, but still in her own way, very powerful. Tony, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us and have a happy new year. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Yes. And for, uh, thank you. Dismissed. And for everybody else on the call, uh, Probate Weekly, we do this every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, live, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can watch it. Uh, you can go to episodes.probateweekly.com if you want to see the past episodes or sign up for the next ones. I'm at Bill Gross Probate. Love to help you if I can in any way. Uh, appreciate you guys. Have a happy new year. Thanks for all you do. I got to tell you, I've been at I've been focused on probate full time nonstop for three. Is it going to be four years now? I guess it's going to be four years 
uh, in March. So I, I keep saying three, but it's going to be almost four years. And, you know, I set out to do this with the help of a community. And you guys have been the primary source of that from the very beginning. You've encouraged me, supported me as we've done this, and hopefully something we can do together. I think a rising tide lifts all ships is my goal to rise the standards of agents, particularly in the probate space. So if I can help any, any way, please reach out. Uh, next year uh, on Tuesday, on Thursday, we're gonna talk about building your probate business and some business planning. Uh, have a great new year and we'll see you guys next year. Thank you so much.